Welcome back, young scientists. I'm Dr. Universe, and if you're anything like me, you've got lots of big questions about our world. Like, why are most people right-handed? And what determines if you're a righty or a lefty? How did people figure out how much a whole planet weighs? How do worms help protect the dirt? We'll investigate these questions right here, right now. A big thanks to our kid narrator from Regional Theater of the Police. Our top is a proud sponsor of STEAM Learning. Discover the art of science, technology, engineering, and math. STEM makes life possible and art makes it worth living. Support your local arts and humanities programs. Together, STEM is gaining STEAM. Let's get started. Hi, I'm MJ, an R-Top theater kid. Our first question comes from Maya, age 8, in Alexandria, Virginia. Dr. Universe, why are people most commonly right-handed? What decides if we are left-handed or right-handed? Are you left-handed or right-handed? That's a great question. If we were in a room of 10 people, about 9 of them would be right-handed and just one would be left-handed. Are you left-handed or right-handed, MJ? I am right-handed. One place we might look for the answer about what decides if we're left-handed or right-handed is in the material that makes each of us who we are. Genes. What are genes, Dr. Universe? While the genes in your body help control all sorts of things from the color of your hair to your skin to your eyes. These traits can be passed down through generations, from grandparents to parents to you. My friend John Hinz, a right-handed professor at Washington State University, knows a lot about genes and the study of how organisms pass their genes through generations. What can you tell us about what determines which hand we use? It's not clear exactly how it is that handedness is acquired. There are definitely genetic components, and there's good evidence for that. For instance, when you have parents that are both left-handed, they're more likely to have children that are also left-handed, but there isn't a clear genetic correlation. And that is because there are many, many different genes that play a role in whether or not you are left-handed or right-handed. There's a genetic component, but it's not obvious what it is. We can't tell what gene it is because there are so many genes playing a role. But here's the kicker on why it can't just be genetics. Identical twins, they have the same genetics. If it was exclusively genetic, then identical twins would always have the same handedness. But they don't. Sometimes one twin is a righty and the other is a lefty. So if it's not just genetics, what is it? Well, there's obviously several other factors that could go into this. There are studies that look at all these different other correlations. People have looked into how the language centers in our brains might be connected to our handedness or how our experience as babies might determine our handedness. Some researchers have even observed dominant hands in a fetus as it develops during pregnancy. Of course, just because there are a lot of connections or correlations between what hand a person uses and other traits or behaviors, that doesn't mean we can say for certain. We haven't found a clear answer to your question. Yet. Whether you are left-handed, right-handed, or both-handed, hands can be really helpful tools. They can help us pick up things, climb to great heights, and even give a high five. Maybe one day you can be a scientist to learn more about the science behind your very own question. There's still a lot of research to do among our four-legged animal friends, too. As for me, I'm a righty. Here's the next question from Angel. 14, in California. Dear Dr. Universe, 
How did people figure out how much a whole planet weighs? They could not have just put it on a scale. How did they do it? My friend Guy Worthy, an astronomer at Washington State University, was happy to help out with your question. This is what Newton figured out, Isaac Newton. So he thought about objects falling, and then he took a leap and he said, wait a minute, what if the same force that makes objects fall also keeps the moon in its orbit? And he called it gravity, and it's constant. It's called the universal law of gravitation, so it's supposed to be applicable everywhere. Uh, what makes gravity stronger is if you have more matter, so more mass. When scientists talk about how much planets weigh, they often talk about mass. All objects, from cats to planets, have mass. Astronomers can measure a planet's mass using what we know about gravity. One planet that taught us a lot about the relationship between mass and gravity was Pluto. We didn't know how to weigh it. It's just a dot. So I remember when I was a kid, and that would be sort of 1970s, the textbook said that Pluto was twice the mass of Earth. What happened in 1978 changed it. So that's when Pluto's moon was discovered, the big one. And the moon's name is Charon. But all of a sudden, that means uh, you've got two things. You've got a Pluto and you've got a moon, and they're spinning around. And that means that you can measure how long it takes to go around. And so you can measure the size of the orbit and how long. And that ends up being a measure of the gravity, which then turns out to be a measure of the mass. So in Pluto's case, it went from two Earth masses to one over 200. It went on a massive diet. It's usually pretty easy for astronomers to find the mass of a planet because almost all of the planets have moons, except Mercury and Venus. How do we find the mass of planets without moons? So you can use other things like a satellite coming by. You can measure the force of gravity as it bends the path of the satellite. And you can also use just the little bits of gravity that one planet will have on another planet. It's not, not a huge amount, but if you're really good at measuring, you can figure out that, that there's a certain amount of mass there. Yes, when it comes to finding the mass of a planet, it all comes down to gravity. Something that Sir Isaac Newton spent a lot of time thinking about during a different pandemic. He was living through almost 300 years ago. Newton was quite the character. There was a pandemic and he was at home sheltering from it. And that's when he came up with this. So that's a echo of the past for you. Thanks, Professor Worthy. Who's ready for the next question? This one comes from Fisher, age seven in Palouse, Washington. How do worms help protect the dirt? Worms help the soil in a few different ways. I visited my friend Lynn Carpenter Boggs, a soil scientist at Washington State University, to find out more about it. So one of the ways worms help the soil is that they move materials around and they make holes. So that allows air to move through, water to move through. Roots can follow those holes and they very often do. As worms wriggle down into the earth, sometimes they also pull leaves and dead grass down into their burrows. Worms are actually very strong. The strong worms haul these materials into the soil where they break down and add important nutrients to the soil. 
Meanwhile, worms sometimes bring leaves and grasses down into their burrows to save as a snack for later. For earthworms, soil is almost always what's on the menu for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. After they eat, they poop. Worm poops are known as castings. Earthworm castings are incredible. After a worm eats, then what's left over is plant fertilizer. Where you have worm activity, you also tend to have healthy plants. We also find another important thing in the castings that helps the soil. Bacteria. Bacteria are so small we'd likely need a microscope to see them, but they also help with soil health. Different bacteria have different jobs in the soil. Some bacteria help break down or decompose different organic materials. There are even some bacteria that give off the very chemicals that create that earthy soil smell. The actual bacteria are very important too. So um, we can see that there is this incredible diversity of bacteria in the earthworm stomach, in their gut. Through digging holes, moving materials around, eating and dropping their castings, worms do a lot to protect the soil. The next time I go outside, I'm going to take a closer look at the soil. Maybe you can try it out too. Perhaps you will see some rocks, roots, grasses, or maybe even a wiggling earthworm. If you have a magnifying glass, you might be able to get an even closer look. Take some time to think about how important the health of the soil is to all life that lives in it, and how important soil is to all life on our planet. Soil is just amazing, and yeah, I love these questions. That's all for this episode, friends. We hope you learned something new and maybe even thought up some new questions. A big thanks to our scientists at Washington State University and our Our Top Kid from Regional Theater of the Palouse. And thanks to you for listening. You make this podcast possible. As always, kids can submit a question of their own at askdrunivers.wsu.edu. That's A-S-K-D-R-U-N-I-V-E-R-S-E dot W-S-U dot E-D-U. Who knows where your questions will take us next.